0: For it. And uh, if, if if you're new with us, let me kind of explain what the series is all about. Uh, we, we do a series every year where at Easter, we ask you, what is it you would like us to talk about? What are the points of pain in your life? What are the things you're most interested in? What are the subjects throughout the Bible that have your attention but you just aren't certain about? What is it that we can share with you? And so you guys you guys shared. you You filled out a survey for us and let us know. And we got tons of responses, and that what, that's what this series is all about. First week, we talked about how do we forgive? That's a big topic, because even if you forgive somebody, learning to, for, to stay in a constant state of forgiveness is, is important, because people are going to sin against you again, and so I'm not surprised. We get that question every year. We also answered uh, last week was, how do I be a godly parent? And so Kyle talked about how to, do, how to forgive, and Tim shared about how to be a godly parent, And uh, this week, I'm going to pick up and continue on. We're going to answer the question of, are we really living in the last days? That's what everybody wants to know. And this is a question I get every year. And so every year, I take time to answer the question. Now, in the weeks to come, you also ask about, hey, tell me about heaven. What's heaven all about? What's it going to be like? You ask me to explain what the spiritual gifts are and who the Holy Spirit is. And then you ask a question that does get asked quite often, and that's, how do I share my faith? How do I tell somebody else about Jesus? How do, I, how, do I, how do I take what God has done for me and just put it on display for someone else? And so I'm going to do that in the next couple of weeks. But today, like I said, we're going to talk about, is today really the last days? Is this where we're really at? And on this subject, I think there are two different people. There are two different camps that exist. The first camp is you love talking about the end times. You watch Trinity Broadcast Network and Christian television all day long. You tune in to the prophets and the people that are talking about the end times, saying, well, this prophecy is coming to pass, and this is how, like, you've read the book, The Bible Code, and you know what all the numbers are and numerology throughout the Bible, that if you take this number and this number, you get this number, and it means that, and that means Jesus is coming back at this point, and this is when, like, you know all that stuff, and you love it. My dad is one of those guys, just loves it, can talk about end time prophecy all day long. And then there's this other camp of people, which I think most of us are in, is that we don't really wanna talk about it. The reason we don't wanna talk about it is we really don't understand much about it, or it scares us a little bit, because they're like, wow, you know, if if the end's really near, then I need to live in a different way, and that's not really what I wanna do. (laughs) That's not the mentality I wanna have. And so we kinda push away from it, but I think it's important that we understand where we're at, what the Bible has to say about it, because the reason it's important is we need to know how to respond as a result of what it says. Now, for those of you that love data, here's some data for you. This is how important the topic of the end times are to the Bible. There's 300 references to it in the New Testament. Your Bible's broke up into two parts, the Old Testament, which is everything before Jesus, and the New Testament, which is everything after Jesus. It's mentioned 300 times in the New Testament, There's 260 chapters in the New Testament. 216 of them contain references to the end times. Out of the 27 books of the New Testament, 23 of them talk about this subject. It's an important topic. As you can see, it's an overwhelmingly important topic. And there's lots of info found in these passages about the end times, about what it will look like, about what will happen, about who will rise to power and and the process of events. Everything is there. But you know what's not there? It's the one thing that everybody wants. It's the day. Yeah. Everybody wants to know when's it going to happen. What's the time? When will it happen? Can you tell us that? No. The Bible doesn't tell us that. In fact, Jesus said specifically about it in Matthew 24. He says, "But about that day or hour, no one knows." Do you know what that means? No one knows. <laughs> Let's get really deep. That means there's no one on the planet now or has ever been on the planet, or ever will be on the planet, that will know. There's nobody that knows. In fact, he goes on and says, not even the angels in heaven, the ones that are hanging out with the Father, know, nor the Son. Jesus is like, I don't know. He says, only the Father knows. So that paints a really cool picture of Jesus, who I think is in heaven, watching us, and praying for us, and looking at us, because the Bible says we're his bride. We're the, we're the apple of his eye. He's watching us. And he's got one eye on us and one eye on dad saying, is it time? Do I get to go get him? Is it time? Because he doesn't know. And if God's anything like me, see, my kids, when they want, they want things, you know, it's like, it's like, okay. No, I'm just kidding. No, it's not time yet. You know, if, I, if God was anything like me, I imagine him doing that to Jesus like, ah, uh, no, I'm just kidding. It's not time. We're just waiting. <laughs> Jesus doesn't know. Nobody knows. And I think it's really funny that if you watch Christian television or read any of the Christian websites and stuff, that there are tons of people who try to predict when it's going to happen. And they use the same Bible that says no one knows to put together their guess as to when it's going to happen. I think God's up in heaven every time we guess. I think it's January 19, 2020. Well, it was, but now it's not anymore. Done. Because... No one knows. No one knows. I'll show you. I'm God. That's why I don't mess with, with, with caring about, like, the day it's going to happen. People, when do you think it's going to happen? I don't know. Even if I guess, I don't know. There's no point in spending any time on that. But we don't know the date. We don't know specifically when it will happen. But I think, I think that we can look at what the Bible has to say about the last days and understand the times. In fact, that what well, we need to be like the men of Issachar. they are men found in, in uh, First Chronicles chapter 12. It says the men of Issachar understood the times and as a result of understanding the times, they knew what to do. That's, that's what I think we need to do. I think we can understand the times that we're in so that we know what we can do because we don't know the day, but we should know the time and how to respond. And I would say that most of us, as the church, because we are the church, we make up the church. It's not this building. We are the church. We are not prepared to respond because we don't know the times. We're in that camp that we stay away from the end times kind of stuff. So we don't know the times. And because we don't know the times, we can't prepare and we aren't responding properly as a result. And so just know that that, As curious as you are about the end times, Jesus' disciples were just as curious, too. They wanted to know when, too. And so Jesus tells them, hey, nobody knows, but here's what you can do. Here's what the times look like. And in Matthew 24 and in Luke 21, he gives them a description of what the times will look like. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to spend a good part of our time looking at what the times look like, what the last days look like, and then make a decision as to whether or not we really believe that we're in the last days, And then from there, if that's really the case, I'll give you some practical things like I do every Sunday. Just some practical things that you can do to help you respond to the fact that we're in the end times. All right? So here we go. Let's jump into Matthew 24, verse 4. It says, Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. Now listen, when somebody starts off that way in the Bible, you need to pay attention. That means that there is going to be an attempt, an active, like somebody is actively pursuing deceiving you. There is someone who doesn't like you and wants to lead you astray. That is your enemy. You need to identify that and get on board for that, that he exists and he wants to deceive you. And he will use people to do it. He says, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. Now listen, this word, tr- this word Messiah, is translated from the Greek. Your Bible was originally written in Hebrew in the Old Testament Greek in the New Testament, and so people translate it into English for us to read, all right? And they use this word Messiah. Now, it doesn't mean that somebody's gonna walk up to you and say, I'm Jesus, and then that you're going to be deceived. If you think about this, this is a really poor plan by an enemy. You're not gonna deceive anybody, because if anybody walked up to you and said, Hi, I'm Jesus, you know what you're gonna do? Oh, really? I've got a a really nice jacket for you. It comes along with a padded room. it's really nice. We give you three meals a day. Come on. Like nobody's going to be deceived if, if you walk somebody walked up and said, I'm Jesus. So that's not what that verse means. What it means is Messiah, it means Christos. It means anointed one. And so people are going to come in the name of Christ. They're going to come and say, I represent Jesus and I have a message for you. And that message will deviate from God's word. And as it deviates from God's word, you choose to follow it and you'll be You'll be deceived. He's like, so hey, pay attention. There's going to be false teachers and and prophets and pastors who are going to tell people what they want to hear. They're going to want to live their life contrary to God's word, and people will follow them because that's what they want. They really don't want to live a life submitted to Christ. So they'll follow him. Now here at Simple Church, you need to understand, we believe God's word is authoritative. We believe that whatever it says is how we ought to live. That there's, there, there, it does, We don't need to have an opinion on it. God's word says what it says, and that's the way we need to live, even if it's contrary to what we want. Because God is the creator, and we are the created being, and he wrote a plan for us and said, this is my best for your life. It's like using a piece of equipment in the wrong way against the manufacturer's specific designs for that use. And God's got a specific design for your life, and he's laid it out in his word. We believe that, and we believe that as Christ followers, we're to yield to that design, whether we like it or not. So we don't have an opinion on it. We may not like it, but we live it. But that's not really popular in the world today. The world today says, well, this is how I feel, so this is how I want to live. And I'm going to find a pastor or a teacher or a preacher or a book or someone who's going to tell me and give me permission to live the way that I want to live. And so they will pursue them. Jesus predicted that this would happen. Because people today want to live how they want to live. They want to say what they want to say. They want to do what they want to do. They want to live with who they want to live with. They want to sleep with who they want to sleep with. And when they want to do it, they, this is, they want all. It's, I want, it's just what I want. And so they'll be deceived. And Jesus said, hey, this is going to happen. It's almost like he was the son of God, you know, and he knew it. Because it's happening today. There there are many people that are leading people astray, many pastors and teachers leading people astray. Jesus said in verse 6, you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. Now listen, when you're looking at these end times, you cannot look at whether we're looking at the last days through the scope of Columbus, Ohio. Are you listening to me? This is a global view. And listen, the internet makes it so easy for you and I to have a global view. That little rectangle thing in your pocket that you sometimes use as a phone, but more often for a video game, it gives you access to the internet where you can get a global view. And I don't just mean Google Earth. You can understand what's happening. There are wars and rumors of wars all over this planet currently Jesus says, but to see, but see to it that you are not alarmed. And I love this part. Because every time something scary happens in the Bible, like you'll see, like an angel steps on the scene and people are afraid, the first thing he say is, fear not. Don't be afraid. And Jesus like, what well, I'm getting ready to tell you is going to be scary. But don't be afraid. Don't be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. He says in verse 7, nation will rise against nation. Now that word nation is the word ethnos in the Greek. That's where we get our word ethnicity. So when he says this, he's not saying that like Russia is gonna rise against China. No, he's saying ethnicity will rise against ethnicity. Now you tell me. You look at our world today and you tell me if racism isn't like the hottest topic trending on every single social media platform. It is everything that we are talking about. Whites against blacks, blacks against whites, me against everybody that doesn't look like me. If you align yourself politically with a certain person, or you align yourself with a certain group, or you, you like something that somebody, that another person doesn't like, if you click like on it and somebody sees that you made a comment or that you liked it or that you shared it, do you know what you immediately become to them? A racist. A racist. Ethnicity is rising against Ethnicity. And let me tell you something, this is so contrary and against God's love for all people. For us to be participating in such racism, to divide ourselves in this way. But Jesus said, hey, this is going to happen. But see, last I checked, God loves every color skin. The only race on this planet is the human race. That's it. We should not allow that to divide us. It ought to unite us. When I was growing up, we used to sing a song in Sunday school. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Yes, yeah, sing with me. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. That was beautiful, y'all. It's the same today as it was then. God hasn't changed his mind about somebody's skin color. He loves them all. Jesus goes on to say, the kingdom would rise against kingdom. A kingdom, once again, is not Russia versus China or some some kind of superpower against another superpower. Kingdom, when Jesus prayed, God, let your kingdom come, let your will be done, kingdom is in reference to the way of doing things. When a new king takes the throne, the kingdom changes. In other words, the way of going about things changes. That's what shifts. So what what this verse is referring to is political power. It's authority. It's a way of doing things. Let me just break it down for you and bring it local. We're talking political parties. That we would be divided against each other. I'm sorry, but this last election really revealed a lot of things to me. And I'm not pointing at one party or the other in this moment. I'm pointing at people people who are brothers and sisters, Christ followers and belong to the body of Christ that would remove somebody from their life because of their political alignment. Jesus said it would happen. There would be a struggle for power. And we see it. He said there'll be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of the birth pains. Now look, I don't, I don't know if you've ever looked at this because in Columbus, we, we're not on a fault line. We don't get earthquakes here. But that doesn't mean they're not happening around the world. I looked this week in preparation for this message. You know how many, how many, or how many uh, earthquakes there were just so far this year? 53. Last year, there were 124. That's insane to me that there's that many earthquakes happening. You have to get a global picture he continues on, and we're going to actually jump from, from uh, Matthew. He wraps up by saying, hey, these are the birth pains. This is what must happen. Now, I don't know if you've ever been with a mom giving birth. I'm, I'm, I have uh, three children, but my, my daughter uh, came with my wife in the marriage, so I was not around when she was born. And my twin boys who were born were born by C-section. The doctor came in and said, hey, listen, we got to take the boys for the health of mommy and baby, and you're going to have kids tomorrow at 6 a.m. So we didn't go through the whole contraction process and the birth pains and all that kind of stuff. I, you know, there, there was some pain, I'm sure. I mean, uh, you know, I was in the room uh, experiencing lots of pain. I was like, wow, is that blood? <laughs> so I didn't stay in the room very long. Um, don't judge me. <laughs> but... But the normal way birth pains go is that there's, there's contractions. There's some, the woman feels some pain, like whoa. And, and, and then there's this time, and it could be days, it could be hours, but that time begins to shorten between those contractions and the pains get closer and closer, the birthing pains. And then the water breaks and you head to the hospital. And that's when the screaming begins. (laughs) And it gets messy. Now, I've never had the luxury of being in the birthing room, but my wife, she's a birthing photographer, which I don't really think is a thing. We argue about it. It's not a thing. (laughs) But She goes and she takes pictures, and I've seen pictures, and I'm going to tell you it's pretty messy. It, it's, it, gets, it gets pretty messy. There's a whole lot of discomfort that happens. And Jesus is saying the end of times will come in that way. But what happens at the end of the pain is something beautiful. A child is born. And Jesus is describing and saying, listen, don't be discouraged. We've got to go through this stuff in order to get to the end. So we'll jump over to Luke 21 where he continues his discourse on this. He says, describing the last days, he says, people will faint from terror, I'm sorry, let me go back. Uh, verse 25, there will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. Well, we're seeing all kinds of stuff in our sky that we haven't seen in a long time. Last year, we had an eclipse that we hadn't seen since 1979. Anybody remember that? That was all the all the rage. I was like, what is everybody freaking out about, you know? Like, we could not even find the goggles. You just, to like, look at it. So I decided to stand in my front yard and just look it up with my own eyes. Like, I was just like... Oh, we'll see. I'll test this theory to see whether I get blinded or not. But it was a cloudy, overcast day. I couldn't see anything. I missed it. I was just like, that's what everybody was so excited about. I saw pictures and just, anyway. Got to watch the sky, man. Verse 26, he says, people will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. You know, this word terror, when I was a kid, The only terrorist I knew of was Saddam Hussein. And he was terrorizing Iraq and and people in that area. And the terrorists were over there. They were far away. September 11th changed all of that for us. Terror came to our soil. It's not that it hadn't happened before, but oh my gosh. It says that people will faint from terror. Nowadays, terrorists are not... Islamic terrorists. Oh, we have those too. But we have people sitting up in hotel rooms just firing on people going to a concert now. We have people walking into high schools and shooting up people. We have people just driving on sidewalks and mowing people down. Walking into a concert and blowing themselves up. Like, where is safe? People are living in terror today. You can't even get on a train or ride without concern, like, man, this might actually happen. There might be a dude on here with a backpack that's going to blow himself up, either in the name of God or some radicalism or in the name of depression or revenge. We're terrified. We're scared for our kids. And there's schools because of what's happening today. Verse 28 or 27 He says, Jesus said, at that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And listen, all these things, we see them happening already all around us. If you're not seeing them, you're not looking close enough. It's happening this day, every one of them. In verse 28, he says, when these things begin to take place, he didn't say cower and hide. He said, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is. Is drawing near. And you say, Aaron, this all sounds like it's ramping up to something. Well, it is. The beautiful thing, right? The birthing pains. What are we headed towards? Well, we're headed towards something called the rapture. Now, if you look in your Bible and try to find that word rapture, you're just not going to find it. It's actually found, we get the word rapture from a phrase caught up, which you'll find in 1 Thessalonians, which I'll share with you now. But this is what everything is moving towards, is this moment. This is our reality. This is the promise that God gives us. And it says that someday, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout. This is the thing we don't know when it's going to happen, by the way. He'll come down with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. So in other words, Jesus is going to split the sky and step out onto it and give a holler. I don't even know what that sounds like. What's up? I don't even know. Christians, mount up. Like, I don't even know. Y'all ready to ride? I, I'm not sure. Every nation and every language and every tongue, right? We'll hear how we need to hear it to know it's time to get out of here. I'm not sure. And he says, then there'll be a trumpet call. Don't, don't hold me to that. I don't know that it'll sound that way, but it will. It'll happen. For me, I, I grew up with this reality. I grew up in a church that talked about this thing, the rapture, very often. In fact, at the end of the message, almost every Sunday, there was a call to, you know, Jesus is coming back soon. This rapture is going to happen. You better get right. Is this what you want to be doing when Jesus comes back? How many of you guys have heard that? That was my reality. I grew up in in these charismatic churches and a Pentecostal church. That's that's how they talked. I grew up with that thought in my mind. I mean, when I was a kid, you know, we were pretty sure Jesus was going to come back like every year at midnight on New Year's Eve. I'm not sure why we thought that. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We would be in prayer that night, and the kids, when it got 11.59 in the, in the kids' area, they would have us start jumping, right? You're going to start jumping, so it's rapture practice, so that way you'll be in the air, and Jesus catch you, and you just go. <laughs> so we're, we're going to help you with the first six inches, Lord, but you take us the rest of the way. <laughs> I just want to point out that you're laughing at my life. <laughs> Thanks for that. I grew up listening to Christian music, and one of the songs I listened to was by a popular band, DC Talk, and it was this song. And I realized they reprised it. It's an old 70s song, but I wish they'd all been ready. And it was talking about how, man, somebody's just going to disappear, and you're going to be left alone. And and I I remember one day, actually, I was at some friend's house, and I came home, and my house was empty. My parents were gone. Everybody was gone. And I remember running around my house frantically, checking everywhere, and this journey led to a moment where I collapsed on the floor in a puddle of tears, begging Jesus to come back and get me. Because I thought I got left behind. I'm sorry, Jesus. I'll never eat a whole pizza again. Just come back and get I was just a little kid. It's my life. And you're still laughing at it. This is, what, this is what everything's leading to, though. It's the return of Christ. The verse continues and says, first the believers, so when the trumpet happens and Jesus says, let's go, it says, first the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Now imagine this scene, everybody who's already dead, buried six feet deep and in a casket and decayed, or if you've been cremated and scattered on the ocean, your body will rise. That's a cool thing. That sounds like Doctor Who kind of stuff, you know? It's like, that's just weird. That's a sci-fi kind of thing. And that's going to happen. And it's because here's what happens. When you die, your spirit separates from you, and your body decays in the grave. And so your spirit and your body will be joined again when this happens. Those that are dead in Christ will rise first. That's where you'll be, made, you'll be given a new glorified body. You'll be changed in a moment. The Bible goes on to say that then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will get caught up. There's that word rapture, right? We get, we get rapture from caught up. We'll get caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now, he's just talking about everyday life is going to be happening. Because we don't know when, this is why we have to be ready. He's going to step out, call us, and we're gone. And I imagine, like, dude, you know, in the D.C. Talk song, they talk about a man and wife are asleep in bed. He hears a noise and turns his head, and she's gone. Two are walking up a hill. One's taken away, and one's left standing still. Like, this is the reality. I just imagine, like, I've, I've thought about this a lot, and I'm like, God, please don't let me be driving my car when you take me, because I just imagine my car is just going to keep on driving if you take me while I'm gone, like I'm in the car. And then me being OCD, I'm like, do my clothes fall off, and do they fall off in a nicely neat stacked pile, or are they just crumpled on the floor for someone else to pick up? <laughs> this is me. The Bible says you'll be gone. It says, there we, then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. Look, these aren't words. That, I'm not sharing these to scare you. You shouldn't be nervous about this. You should just know that it's coming, and this is what we're looking for. And that because we know that it's imminent, because we know we're in the last days, and that we're leading to this, there's a preparation that's required. There's, there's an intentionality that needs to be attached to my life. This, uh, the, the sad thing is, is that even though people are seeing the signs, they'll just refuse to get ready. Well, I'm just not sure, you know, Aaron. I mean, there's just, there's just you know, there's so many, so many people that have said, like, 1988. There was a guy that said, there's 88 reasons Jesus is coming back in 88. Well, that was 30 years ago, Aaron. Nothing happened. Even the disciples thousands of years ago thought Jesus was coming back then. But I really believe we're living in the last days. And as a result, it's my job to help you get ready. To help you know, since this is the end, How do you live? Now, even if you push back on me and say, I don't believe it's the last days. Cool. Let's land here. It's your last days. Okay, see, the Bible tells you that tomorrow is not promised to any of you. Your next breath is not guaranteed. You're not guaranteed to make it home safe in your car today. The Bible says your life is a vapor. It's here today and gone tomorrow. It's like, done. You're living in your last days, even if we're not living in the last days of this world. And since it's our last days, we need to know how to, how to live. We need to live like, it, like that's our reality. We need to shift our behavior and add some intentionality to it. And here's what Peter had to say about that. And this is just me wrapping up our message, giving you this is the practical part of it. To help you understand since it's is really the end, this is what you need to do. Peter says, the end of all things is near. 2,000 years ago, this is what he thought too. And so I, I get it. Ah, is it really? I don't know. I think so. Either way, I think you need to be prepared. He says, therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Huh. So the first thing we see that we need to be intentional about is our commitment to prayer. Hey, since it's the end times, you need to be committed to pray. Why? Well, let me me tell you why as a church. Let me just share with you. There's a vision statement out there on the wall that's printed so that you can see it when you walk in, and we talk about it often. We talk about it in our leadership meetings. We talk about it here on Sunday mornings. We talk about it. It's on our website. It's in everything that we do because this is what drives what we do, and that's to reach people far from God and teach them to follow Jesus step by step. Now, at every church in Columbus and around the world, they have a statement. It may read differently, but the heart behind it is the same, and that's to reach God's lost kids. That's it. That's why the church exists. God gave us his love so that we could love others. He gives us all that he gives us so that we can use it for others, to make an impact with them. And so, we need to be committed to prayer because the vision that God has given us is not just to reach this city. When Jesus left, he said, you reach your city, you reach your neighboring city, you reach the cities you don't want to go to, and then you reach the rest of the world. That's a big order, and I'd say a church of 250 to 280, that's us, is not gonna be able to do that on our own, so why do we have to pray? Because when we pray, we connect to God's power to do what he's called us to do, because nothing happens in the natural before it happens in the spiritual. You wanna see people get saved, you wanna see people, more people reach for God, you wanna see more people following Jesus, living their lives according to God's word and walking out God's best for their life, It all begins in prayer. That's why we prioritize prayer as a church. That's why at the beginning of the year, our first 21 days, we honor God and give him our first part of the year. And we pray and we fast. 21 days of prayer. And then in August, because in September is the greatest time for people to return to church, we see the largest number of people return to church and say yes to Jesus in the months of September and October. And so in August, we spend 21 days praying. Again. We prioritize prayer before this service even starts. We're praying for this service. We're bathing every service in prayer. Our team members pray for you. All of you that are here today, you got prayed for. You got prayed for. We cover all of this in prayer. We cover our city in prayer. We pray for every, we, we have nights of prayer where we come together. We commit to doing that. It's once a month on a Sunday night, the last Sunday of the month. That means next Sunday, by the way you too can become committed to corporate prayer. Come, join us. We are committed to prayer because we know that's where we connect with God's power to do what he's called us to do. Now, there's this commitment corporately as a church because we're the church. There's also an individual commitment that we have to have to prayer to connect to God daily. Listen, that doesn't have to be an hour-long prayer session. Spend five minutes connecting to God. It'll change and shift your entire day. I promise you. We have to be committed to connecting with God. But Peter's well aware that there's reasons and excuses for why we don't pray. He identifies two of them in the verse. He said, the end of all things is near, therefore be alert and of sober mind. Well, he's telling you to do that because he knows that you're not alert and you're not of sober mind. We're not alert because we're comfortable. We're lulled to sleep. I think especially Christians in America today are super comfor- comfortable. There's no persecution for our faith. And we've got everything that we need here. We don't have to rely on God much. Like really, seriously, consider this. I know there are some things and some points of pain in your life that you're talking to God about. But really, if everything went to hell in a handbasket of your life, you lost your job, you lost your house, do you know where most of you are gonna turn? The government. A lot of us will turn to the government because there's welfare available to us. There are programs that will help us with health care, getting housing, getting money. We're not in full reliance on God. We'll thank God for those resources and pray that God helps us with those resources. But you and I are generally and regularly not in a dire situation. We're not under threat of life, or loss of limb, we don't pray because we're comfortable. Do you know when everybody becomes Christians? When everybody starts praying? When you're on an airplane and there, becomes, there starts turbulence like this, right? Even the atheists on the plane, oh God! <laughs> me being a Pentecostal boy, I just lean over to him, just call on him. That's all right, he'll help you, save you. But we pray when, when our marriage is going wrong. We pray when our kids won't obey and they're in a mess. We pray when our finances are a mess. We pray when we're in dire situations. Other than that, we're comfortable and we're lulled to sleep. We don't pray. Or we're not of sober mind. Now that phrase, of sober mind, just means to be self-controlled. We don't live a life regularly where we are self-controlled. We give in to our passions. We give in to our own desires. And as a result of that, we spend a lot of time wrestling with our sin. Instead of Living the life of freedom that God designed for you, instead of removing yourself from that place of temptation, instead of fleeing that relationship that continues to drag you down, instead of removing those opportunities from your life, instead of closing those doors, you stay in that situation and you're tempted and as a result you're tired spiritually and because you constantly give in to your sin, you carry shame, you carry guilt, and prayer is not something you want to face. You don't want to have to say sorry to God again and ask him to forgive you for the same thing over again. Peter knows that, and he's saying, hey, listen, we're not praying because we're lulled, we're comfortable, we're lulled into sleep. And because we're still wrestling with our sin, we won't give it up. We won't just decide today's the day, I'm done. So we need to be alert. He wants us to wake up. Peter wants us to understand. Can't be distracted. We're not meant to be so distracted. We're meant to make a difference. And Peter wants us to wake up because the end is near to stop wrestling with our sin, to leave all that stuff behind and to pray. Because if the devil can't defeat you, he will distract you. And he wants to distract you from what matters most. And Peter tells us what matters most And that's people. Look at what he says, the next verse. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. See, the devil wants you defeated. If he can't defeat defeat you, he'll try to distract you so that you can't make a difference in other people's lives. He'll get you looking at yourself instead of others. He'll make everything in your life about you. And if he can do that, then you get your eyes on yourself and instead of on others. When everything becomes about you, that means everything even about Sunday morning becomes about you. You'll walk in here and you'll complain about the songs that we choose to sing because it's not your favorite because you prefer this. You'll come in here and complain that some person that's far from Jesus is sitting in your seat. How dare they? Don't they know that's where I sit every Sunday? That's, that's my seat. Huff and puff and get mad. You won't want to serve with somebody because you don't like that person. It comes all about you and not about people. And you just focus on yourself and you lose track. That's what the devil wants you to do. Because if the devil can't distract you, he's going to divide you. That's what he wants us to do. He wants us to be so focused on ourselves that we lose sight of each other. We lose sight of our opportunities to serve one another. But life isn't about you. Life really isn't about life. It's about the life that is to come. And do you know the only thing that's going to be in the life to come? It ain't going to be your 401K or your achievements or how many likes you got on Facebook. It's going to be people. People are the only thing that will be in the life to come. That's why Peter wants us to be committed to prayer and to people. He goes on and the last thing he says is, each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others. As faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Do you know what grace is? Grace is receiving something you don't deserve. Something that you couldn't earn. That's what grace is. And God gives us his grace in many forms. First of all, God gives you his his love. His unconditional love. His illogical love. I love that one poet recently has even identified God's love. His unconditional, unfailing love as reckless. I love that. I love that. Because he loves you recklessly. He gives you his grace in that way. You didn't deserve it. You don't earn it. He gives it to you. He also gives us grace in his son Jesus. He sent Jesus to this earth to pay the penalty for our sins. And as a result, you and I receive forgiveness when we place our faith in him. We're forgiven for all the things that we've done. We receive salvation. That means eternity in heaven. That means on the day he steps out and says, let's go, y'all. You go with him. In his grace, he gives you redemption. That life that you've made a mess of with your choices. God takes your mess and makes it your message. He redeems it. He gives you hope. That's grace. But there are these other things that you get in grace, and that is giftings. Peter identifies that. He said, All of you have been given a gift. It's, it's the way that God has gifted you. It's the way God has wired you. It's the interests that He's given you. That thing that you do so well, those are gifts that God has given you. And He says, He wants you to use those gifts to serve other people. In fact, He says, Be good stewards of them. We want to be good stewards of God's faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Do you know what a steward is? A steward is not an owner. A steward's like a supervisor. Your job as a supervisor is to run that business the way the owner wants you to run it. And you are a steward. You are a steward of your children. They're not yours. Yes, you physically brought them into this earth, but they are God's gift to you. You steward them. You steward your relationships, you steward your finances, none of it belongs to you. God gave it all to you. You're stewards. And you're to care for those things in the way that God tells you to care for them. And it's the same with the gift that He's put inside your life. He has a design and a purpose for that gift. And that purpose is to make a difference in somebody else's life, is to use it to impact someone else. That's why he gives you those gifts. You say, well, Aaron, I don't know what the gifts are. I don't don't know what he's giving me. I don't know how he's wired me. I don't don't even know what I could use in my life to make a difference in somebody else's life. You know what? I'm so glad you're here. Let me help you. We have something called Growth Track. We do it every Sunday during second service. In fact, it's going on right now. There's four simple steps. That means four Sundays. Step one, two, three, and four. Follow the first, second, third, and fourth Sundays of the month. Today's the third Sunday of the month. That means we're on step three. And right now... They're all in there. They took a spiritual gifts assessment and a personality assessment to understand, hey, this is how God's made me. And these are the gifts that I have inside of me that he wants to use to make a difference in somebody else's life. And that plays out, like Peter said, in various forms. And we want to help you. We want to help you do that because it's really the last days. And if it's not real, if you really don't believe that it's your last days, and because it's your last days, You need to be intentional. You need to be intentional in your commitment to prayer. Intentional in your commitment to people. And you need to be intentional in your commitment to your purpose. Why make a difference in someone else's life? Well, I'll take you back to God's vision and plan for this world. So you can make a difference in other people's lives and and they can know God. There's so many of you in this room right now. The reason that you're here is because somebody that was a Christ follower made a difference in your life. That's why you're here. And this is the team that we're inviting you to. This is the plan that God has. It's not Moses, it's not Noah, it's not even the original 12 disciples, it's you. He wants you on the team that has been initiated as the greatest search and rescue party ever to seek that which was lost and that's God's kids. He's looking for them actively and he wants you to be part of that. We don't get to do that if we're not committed to prayer, if we're not committed to people, and if we're not committed to our purpose. That's what Peter says, hey, it's simple, guys. Prayer, people, purpose. Prayer, people, purpose. Prayer, people, purpose. Prayer, people, purpose. That's why we're here, the three Ps. Listen, in these last days, you need to understand that Christianity is growing. Despite what you hear, in 2000, or I'm sorry, in 1970, there were 1.2 billion Christians on this earth. In 2017, there are currently 2.7 billion Christians on this earth. This is a movement that is growing, and you need to be a part of it. You need to be a part of what God is doing. And Christianity is spreading and growing across the world, except in 20 out of the 193 nations. That means 173 nations of the world, Christianity is growing. Do you know what one of the 20 where it's not growing is? Right here in America. America. There's an opportunity here. Will you join the team? In these last days, will you be committed to prayer, be committed to people, and be committed to your purpose? Will you help us reach those that are far from God? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for all that have gathered here today. Thank you for an opportunity to celebrate fathers. But Lord, in this moment, which is serious, I thank you for the convicting power of your word because it's the last days. And it's our last days, regardless of the timing of Jesus' return. So God, I ask that you would help us to see clearly the areas we need to repent, the areas that we need to turn away from, the sin we've gotta walk away from, the things we need to do so that we can be committed to prayer, so that we can be committed to people, to looking at others around us instead of at ourselves so much. Lord, forgive us for our selfishness. And then, Lord, help us to be committed to our purpose. Make it clear what it is to show us the ways, the creative ways, that we can use our purpose to make a difference in other people's lives. All, God, so that they can know you, Lord, this is an incredible vision you've given us. We're, we want it, and we need your help, and we need your power, and we need your grace to do it. Thank you, Jesus. Now in this moment, as we continue to pray, that means heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to speak to those that are here, and you realize that part of this journey, like in the end times, that there's a moment Jesus is going to call those home that belong to him, those that know him, Maybe you'd identify in this moment, Aaron, I don't know Jesus. Maybe, maybe you've never prayed a prayer and made a confession and asked Jesus to be Lord of your life. Or maybe you have and you've walked away. I'm not sure where you're at in this room. But I know that it doesn't matter where you're at, that right now where you're at, God's love is yours. He loves you regardless. And he wants you to join this team. He wants you to receive his grace, his forgiveness, salvation, all that he has for you. But he wants you to help us find others. And so all that begins with a prayer. It begins by talking to him. That's what prayer is. And so I'm gonna pray a prayer in a moment, and if you're here and you say, Aaron, that's me, I need, to, I need to get back on track with Jesus, or I need to say yes for the first time. If that's you and you're here in this room, would you just slip your hand up now and say, Aaron, that's me, that's me, I'm, I'm here. Yeah, thank you, I see your hand, thank you. Anybody else? Yeah, thank you. I see you. You can put your hands down now. Look, church, we, we have two that are going to say yes this morning. We had two first service. That makes four today. If there's anybody else, just know you're not alone. We're going to pray this prayer, and those of you that are praying it, I just need you to mean it from your heart. The rest of us are going to join you so you're not praying alone. Church, let's pray together. Say, Jesus, I need you forgive me, make me brand new, show me how to live for you, and I'll spend every day doing that. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Now listen, the Bible says if you prayed that prayer, the church here is going to celebrate with you, but all of heaven is celebrating. Come on, guys, let's join them. I'm so proud of you, those of you that have made that commitment today. And listen, I, I understand that that was difficult to slip your hand up and say yes, but I need you to make another commitment before you even leave today, and that's to go to Growth Track. Go, go find out what God's journey is for you. Second service, that's this service right here every Sunday. I realize that not everybody can go to a service, first service, and then go to second service. I'm your pastor now. Hi. I give you permission to skip service and go to Growth Track. I think it's that important, all right? So go, we'll watch your kids. You don't need to sign up. You just need to show up, all right? You'll understand God's journey and his purpose and plan for your life. We need, there are tons of people doing that. If you're brand new to our church, you wanna know more about us, growth tracks for you too. I'm inviting you. I'll invite you every Sunday. You'll get tired of hearing me talk about growth track until you go through growth track and go, man, why was I waiting to go through growth track? And then the rest of you that have gone through growth track, every Sunday I talk about it, you sit here and you smile and you bob your head like Brenda's doing the whole time going, you guys just need to go to growth track. I'm just telling you, that's what you need to do. So so make that commitment today, all right? At this time, we're gonna receive our, our tithes and our offerings, and listen, if you're a guest with us today, you're under no obligation to give. We're just really glad you're here with us. But as they come, I just wanna remind the dads have a happy Father's Day. If you came in late and you did not get your car wash, uh, your free car wash, make sure you stop by guest services and let them know that you didn't. They'll give you your free car wash just to celebrate you dads and uh, give you the information that will be there as well. But let me pray, Lord. Thank you so much for all you're doing in us, through us, for us. God, we just love you. And thank you how your word challenges us and transforms us. Now, Lord, I ask in Jesus' name that you would just bless this offering as we receive it. May you be honored by it, and may we reach more people with every dollar. In Jesus' name, amen.